The Church Media Podcast, episode number 44, Creating Media for the Church with Phil Vischer. Let's do it. Hey there. Welcome to the Church Media Podcast. The definitive podcast for creating dynamic experiences and building solid production teams at your church. Video, audio, lighting, stage design, volunteer culture, and more. You can find the show notes for this episode at 1230media.com slash podcast. And now, broadcasting from the heart of the South, here's your host, Church Media Coach Carl Barnhill. Welcome to episode number 44 of the Church Media Podcast. I'm Carl Barnhill, your host. Thank you so much for listening this week. I'm humbled to join you each and every week. This is the definitive podcast for helping you create dynamic experiences and build solid media production teams at your church. This week, we are focusing on the area of content and design. Very few people know more about creating content and designing for the church than VeggieTales creator Phil Vischer. Phil has been using media to reach families in the church for decades. He started VeggieTales in the early 90s and is now the creator of What's in the Bible, a children's series that teaches kids how the Bible came to be and what's in it for them. I recently had the opportunity to chat with Phil about his creative process of making computer-generated content, editing, producing, what gear he uses, how he creates characters and voices, what his sets look like, and more. Jam-packed interview that I'm so excited to share with you. If you create and design content for your church, or you're involved in the process of creating sermon series content, content for your children's or student ministry, or other parts of your church, listen closely, because Phil gives tons of insights that you can implement at your church. So here we go. My exclusive interview with VeggieTales and What's in the Bible creator, Phil Vischer. Hit it. This is an exclusive interview from 1230 Media and Carl Barnhill. Get shareable content and free resources for your team at 1230media.com slash podcast. Here's Carl now. It's an honor to welcome on the phone VeggieTales and What's in the Bible creator, Phil Vischer. Phil, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today, man. Thanks for having me. Now, you have a brand new feature coming out this month called Galaxy Buck Mission to Sector 9. And tell us all about it. Yeah, well, okay, go back to VeggieTales. VeggieTales was primarily about uh, teaching kids Christian values and, and morals, you know, thankfulness, forgiveness, that sort of thing, um, with, a, with a Judeo-Christian worldview. Uh, what's in the Bible was, okay, let's go deeper into the faith and actually uh, try teaching kids Christianity, you know, what's the flow of Scripture overall, and, and what are the tenets of our faith? So once we finish that, and that's 13 DVDs that go all the way through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation, then, okay, <clears throat> we've told kids what's in the Bible, now how do we actually live it? What does it look like to live out your faith in the world? And so I sat down to tackle that one, and I thought, okay, now typically, you know, I would do, like, here's kids in school having a situation, and they have to deal with the situation showing how they, you know, utilize their faith. And I thought, well, that's kind of boring. Kids are in school already. There's nothing, you know, fantastical or inspiring about that. What if they were in deep space instead? And I, I thought, we came up with a bunch of new characters for what's in the Bible. Buck Denver, who's kind of a you know, a Stephen Colbert, kind of a newscaster guy who isn't as, as bright as he thinks he is, the Stephen Colbert character, not the real Stephen Colbert. 
Um, and, you know, and all these other characters. And I thought, okay, what if I kind of cast them in Star Trek um, and sent them on space adventures? And then those lessons of how to live out your faith in the world or at school become in the galaxy, you know, where you can go to a new planet and that planet has, has an issue. And then, you know, you can learn these lessons on a really grand canvas. And I thought it would be fun to give kids, you know, kind of a Star Wars, a Star Trekky feel of a thing uh, that they could really sink their teeth into, uh, but then would carry these lessons about you know, really putting your faith into practice uh, in the universe. And that, uh, that led to the idea, of course, so in the future, say we've discovered there's people living on other planets, then we need a galactic mission board, and we need to send missionaries out to those planets to tell them about Jesus. Uh, and that's, of course, what Buck Denver aspires to be. And that's really where Galaxy Buck came from. <laughs> now, you touched on this a little bit about uh, where what's in the Bible came from. Tell us a little bit more about why you started it and its benefit to families. Yeah, what's in the Bible um, really came down to, you know, I spent about 10 years uh, leading VeggieTales, writing and directing a lot of the episodes, and thinking, okay, you know, we, I've taught Christian values, but I haven't really taught Christianity uh, and it's easy, you know, if you work with kids, it's easy to, to teach a Bible story uh, or teach a, a value. It's much trickier to actually teach the story of the whole Bible, you know, and explain concepts like, why are these books in the Bible and other ones aren't? Why do we trust them? What does it mean to my life? Uh, you know, tough questions like, what's with all the weird rules in the book of Leviticus, and why do you say I have to obey some, but I don't have to obey others? Why was it okay for the Israelites to kill all those Canaanites? Uh, you know, these tricky questions that can knock a kid's faith out from under them when they get to high school or college. I thought, let's address those questions while they're still in elementary school, you know, third, fourth, fifth grade, uh, so that they're ready for them, so they actually have a more robust understanding of their faith uh, so that they're ready for high school and college. And then I decided, okay, I've been doing computer animation for, you know, 15 years now, the bar for computer animation has is, is, is gone so high, you know, with Pixar films and DreamWorks films and these $150 million films. There's nothing I can do with computer animation that will impress a kid. And I don't have the money, you know, to even try to hit that bar. Uh, my, my two heroes growing up creatively, one was uh, Walt Disney. The other one was Jim Henson. And I thought, I want to go back in the Jim Henson direction, and I want to have some fun with puppets. You know, we can crank out stuff much faster, get in front of kids much more frequently. We can be more specific in our teaching, you know, if, if we don't have to sell a gazillion copies of something just to make back the uh, animation budget. So I started building puppets and hiring a guy to build puppets. I thought, well, this is really fun. I always wanted to work for Jim Henson, and now... I still don't, but I can pretend that I do, and uh, we're teaching the Bible with puppets. Have you checked out the new uh, Muppets show? What do you think about it? I have not watched it yet. I, I know about it. I wasn't shocked. I mean, I'm a little surprised that they decided no one would mind if the Muppets became, um, in the words of People magazine, risque. <laughs> uh, but I also know that, uh, you know, if you, if you know Jim Henson, he never really wanted to do kids' stuff. He was a, kind of an avant-garde filmmaker in, in college, and then he wanted to do avant-garde puppets, but no one would pay him to do that, and Sesame Street was the only job he could get. So when they did the, uh, the pilot for the original Muppet show, uh, the pilot was actually called the Sex and Violence episode. 
And uh, the whole storyline of the pilot episode that, that Jim Henson shopped around was they were waiting for the seven deadly sins to show up, who were the guest stars on the first episode. So, and then, then you know, the networks all said, no, <laughs> no, Mr. Henson, that's not what we want. And then the Muppet Show turned into what it is now. So in a sense, this is almost going back to what he wanted to do with the Muppet Show in the first place. I'm just not sure parents are very excited about that. <laughs> so true. Now, you you mentioned the uh, computer animation stuff. Uh, tell me, uh, you started this right when, I guess, Tory Story, were you at a race for Toy Story, did you come out before Pixar came out? Tell me that. Take me back there. Uh, the first VeggieTales episode was five years before. I Toy thought Story. so. I thought that you you kind of beat them to it. Um, yeah, there was um, there'd been some TV work done in France in computer animation. There was one TV special that had aired in the U.S. Uh, a Crash Test Dummies special that had been produced by a. a shop in uh, Minnesota, but there was no, and then there was a TV show called Reboot that was about to launch, that was a computer animated show out of Canada. Uh, VeggieTales was in that, that very first wave of, of long form CG animation. Yeah, that was very cool. Uh, all right, so our blog and podcast, our audience consists of church media guys, uh, mostly at churches, so media directors, video editors, motion designers, animators, leaders of volunteer teams, stuff like that. I'd love to ask you a few questions uh, to, just to give them some insight into maybe what you've learned over the years from ministering to families using video and entertainment. So give me a glimpse of behind the scenes. Walk me through your process. You have an idea. Walk me through the first few things that you do, brainstorm, script writing, that sort of thing. Well, it, it varies. Uh, it varies based on you know what I'm trying to accomplish. The, the biggest thing, because I don't have a staff position in a church, uh, any project I want to produce, I have to figure out who's going to pay for it. Mm-hmm. So, so it's much more like independent feature film production, where you know it's not enough to just come up with the great idea. I then have to figure out how to fund it, and so I have uh, business partners that do that part. But that can tend to drive a lot, you know, because at some point you have to say all right, if we have a distributor who thinks they can sell this many copies of this on DVD or whatever other you know, format it's going to take, how much can I spend to make it? And what kind of story can I come up with that only costs that much to produce? So there's, there's just a massive amount of, of kind of production pragmatism that has to go into these to, you know, to work backwards. How big is the audience for this idea? And now, so therefore, how big can the budget be? Now is there a way for me to actually pull that off, you know, or is that idea, you know, dead on arrival just because it, it doesn't have an audience uh, that will support it? Once I figure that I've got an, an audience and an idea that, that I can produce for a reasonable budget, um, you know, whether it's, it's teaching the Bible, I'll just crack open my study Bible and start, you know, so what do I want to develop an outline? What do I want to cover in this episode? And then I just start to get a little loopy and say, all right, what's, what would be the, the least expected way to teach that? You know, what's, mm. the, what's the way? Okay, you would, it was like with Galaxy Buck. Okay, these are, these are lessons about how to put your faith into action. You would expect it to be, a, you know, three Christian kids at their secular high school uh, running into an angry teacher. Well, that's not fun at all. Let's, it's three space explorers running into ang- angry aliens. You know, that's much more interesting 
Um, and then you just, you know, you go from there and it goes to a script and then uh, I, I draw. So I'll typically do a I'll storyboard, whatever I want to produce and produce an animatic. And I, I also do the voices. The more you can do by yourself, the, the further you can take a project along before you have to, you know, raise a lot of money. You know, I've read that, that you, that you work alone or very few people work in, a cr- in, in your crew. Is that true? Is, just, is it just you or what does the What's in the Bible set look like? Yeah, the What's in the Bible crew, we did uh, 13 one-hour episodes. So 13 hours of production, um, and it's a mix of animation, puppetry, you know, it's all original score. There's almost 100 original songs in the series. Um, I have a staff editor and a staff designer, and, and uh, that's it for the permanent crew. And then everyone else is, is freelance and contract. And I have, you know, three or four uh, CGI guys that I work with. I have three or four flash animation guys that I work with. And so I'll storyboard things and send them out, you know, figure out which guys is the right for this or girl, if it's a girl, uh, is right for this. And then I have a composer, you know, and I write songs myself. So I, I rough out the songs and then send them to my uh, producer, music producer, to produce it all. So there's probably 15 people involved in, in what's in the Bible, but only uh, two of them are staff. So when you're shooting, is it just you? Do you have one camera guy? What does the actual shoot look like? Yeah, uh, absolutely one camera, um, a puppet, a camera, a green screen, and me. Mm. That is the shoot. There is no crew. Um, I turn on the lights. I turn on the camera. Uh, right now we're shooting with uh, uh, Panasonic GH4s, uh, shooting in 4K, when we shoot in 4K, we can then go in tight. You know, we, we output to, to standard high def. So uh, if we shoot 4K, we can cut in for tight shots on the characters without having to reframe, you know, a, a camera or touch a lens. Um, record to an Atomos uh, 4K recorder straight out of the, the Panasonic GH4. And then um, those files, you know, go onto the ser- server. And then my editor comes in and looks at my script and starts cutting takes. So basically, you know, in the studio, it is literally just me um, with a puppet, a camera, and, and you know, a, a recorder within my reach, my easy reach, and I'm doing the voices as I'm doing the puppets. And then uh, my editor comes in and does a rough cut of pulling all the, what he thinks are the best takes, puts them all together, strings them in order based on the script, and then I come in and sit down and and uh, we polish that cut, uh, and then he starts compositing. So that rough cut is just, you know, the puppets over green screen. And then once the rough cut is finalized, then he starts, you know, putting in the backgrounds, the sets, and, and doing all the uh, detailed compositing and garbage matting and, and all that stuff. And then once we have a locked edit, we can also send it out uh, for scoring and, and sound effects and get that going at the same time. So talk to the church media guy or any producer of content who says, oh, I, I don't have a crew. I, I don't have the money to do this. I don't. I have limited resources. I mean, you're a guy. Uh, people may think that you, you know, have this big money, this big studio, this big crew, but you don't, and you're and you're you're in there by yourself, cranking it out. Talk to talk to that guy who maybe you know played devil's advocate to that guy. Yeah, it's really about just being uh, kind of ingenious with what you have access to, you know. And and we've just like my editor. My editor doesn't know how to do everything, 
but you know when we come in up to something oh i'd like this kind of effect you know how to do this kind of effect in after effects and he says no but give me a day and he goes like every high school kid in america he goes to youtube he types in that mm-hmm. effect and boom there's five videos of people showing you how to do that so you know there's absolutely no good reason to not be able to do stuff because someone has taught it on youtube <laughs> you yeah. can, you know, whatever your software is, whether you're After Effects or, you know, Apple software or whatever, somebody has already explained how to do that on YouTube, and you just, you know, take the time to watch, and you can figure it out. There are also, you know, if you troll around uh, After Effects sites or, or CGI sites, mm-hmm. you'll find independent guys doing amazing work. Andrew you know, Kramer and, and those guys. Yeah, and quite often you can contact those guys and just say, hey, I just need a spaceship. You have a spaceship lying around, you know, <laughs> yeah. that you can give me five seconds of it flying across the frame. And they'll say, yeah, here, you know, yeah. give me a hundred bucks and I'll do it for you. So yeah. it's, it's easy to collaborate with lots of people, you know, in far-flung locations. And, and if you find like-minded people, like all of my Flash animators happen to be believers. So, you know, I know that they're going to give me their best work, you know, because they're right. the most excited, regardless of how many projects they have they're most excited about mine because it lines up with their faith. Right. Um, and I, so I love to give those guys work that is just, you know, that'll be their favorite work that year, and then I get their, their very best because uh, they're so excited about it. Yeah. Okay, so a couple of questions from our church media Facebook group. Uh, Jacob asks, where do the voices come from? How do you play with the voices to know which, character, which voice fits which character, and do you have a favorite? <laughs> uh, veggies, my favorite tend to be um, Archibald Asparagus, who's sort of my homage to Monty Python from my youth, and uh, Terry Gilliam, then the boys, the British fellows, although Terry Gilliam was from Indiana, so that's not a good example, but John Cleese and those guys. And he's kind of the, the wimpy part of my personality. Every character you do is a part of you. You know, it's very hard to do a character that has no overlap with you. Um, Mr. Lunt is is the part of me that that sometimes thinks of things that are just highly inappropriate and and shouldn't be said in church. Uh, but for some reason, Mr. Lunt, I don't know why, he can get away with it. You know, he can. So when when uh, if I do live radio and they say, "Hey, we want to interview Bob the Tomato," uh, I say, "No, you don't. You, you want to interview Mr. Lunt. That'll be way funnier." Because uh, Bob can't do that. You know, he's supposed to be the grown-up. He's supposed to know what's right and wrong to say. And Mr. Lunny says, I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm just going insane. You know, he can do jokes that I can't believe I can get away with. Anyway, <laughs> um, but I'll, I'll pick up character ideas from movies, from TV shows. You know, Mr. Nezer is my, uh, my imitation of the Oogie Boogie Man from The Mare Before Christmas. I'm going to do my best. Um, the, uh, Mr. Lunt actually started out as me trying to do the weasels from Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Uh, you know, but it, you separate it out into uh, dialects and then tonalities, and then you swap them out in different ways. So, you know, hello, this is Jimmy Gord. He's just this tonality without really any dialect at all, kind of a, just a Midwestern American. Um, but then you make him German, and he's suddenly Dr. Schniefenhausen from uh, What's in the Bible. Um, or then you can make him kind of Southern, and he's a cowboy and wants to sing his songs, and he's a uh, chuck wagon. So it's just, you know, it's, it's, it can be the same tone, 
I mean, Paw Grape is, hi, I'm Paw Grape. And he's got a Brooklyn accent, but then I turn him into a pirate for what's in the Bible. All right, I'm Captain Pete the Pirate. Hey, hey. And, you know, so basically that's how I make voices, and I've probably <laughs> done 30 or 40 unique characters between Veggie Tales and what's in the Bible. Do you find it hard or, or easy to go between them and, and mix match, or did they kind of morph along it the way? It depends or? on the characters. It is, it's uh, easy to switch tone. It can be hard to switch dialect. So there's two British brothers in uh, what's in the Bible that I can do simultaneously. Hello, I'm Clive. It all me and his brother. And they're both, you know, Cockney. So it's easy to switch the tone. Uh, to go from a country guy to a Cockney guy and back in real time is very challenging. Hmm. <laughs> That's so interesting, man. All right, Josh Williams asks, do you find it easier to create for kids or adults? Like your podcast is more adult-driven. <laughs> which, which do you find it easier to create content for? Uh, it's easier to offend adults. <laughs> 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 Kids don't know when they're supposed to be offended. <laughs> they don't know if you just accidentally wandered off the reservation, theologically speaking. So they they never write strongly worded letters. Uh, and actually, and that because of that very reason, it is more relaxing to produce for kids. I bet, yeah. Um, you know, because you're pretty, you're you're not going to go into such depth that you know you may accidentally <laughs> say something heretical <laughs> without even realizing it. Um, if you're trying to to teach uh, grown-ups, you know, you've you've you're in deeper already. Um, you know, and they and it's tricky. I find it easier to teach grown-ups when I'm teaching kids um, because I tend to be somewhat simple and childlike in the way I teach, which is better for everyone, not just for kids, but parents are conditioned to think that's childish. You know, I should be listening to something very profound and very deep and very elaborate, even though they can't follow it. Uh, parents tend to follow what I teach for kids very, very well. They just mm. don't want to admit it, that they're so true. learning something. All right, this question comes from Rosemary. She says, when you found yourself completely starting over, what verse or passages from God's Word carried you through the pain, fear, disappointment, joy, hope? Oh, wow. Um, it was actually a whole study. Um, one of the things that really turned me around was uh, the study of the life of Samuel by Henry Blackaby, and it's called Called to Be God's Leader. Um, and uh, it, it started out, the first thing I read in that state, my wife had bought it for me about three years earlier, but then decided not to give it to me because she didn't want to, you know, be playing the role of the Holy Spirit in my life. Hmm. Um, and then I found it. I bumped into it shortly after the bankruptcy of Big Idea Productions, and, and it was a, a daily study, and the first paragraph of the first day was, if what you are trying to do for God is not working, it may be that it didn't come from God, but rather came from your own head. <laughs> mm. <laughs> and I just went, whoa, okay. And it, was, it was a profound study. Uh, there was also a friend who preached a sermon on the story of the Shunammite woman and, uh, in Second Kings chapter 4. And the Shunammite woman, you know, her, her dream is for a child. She's childless, and, uh, and uh, Elisha uh, prays, and she has a child, and then the child dies, and she's stuck there with her dream you know, dead in her arms. And that really hit me profoundly, because mm. I realized, you know, the basically big idea was my dream, was, was the child I was longing for, 
to, to be whole, and God allowed it to die. So the, the story of the Shunammite woman was, was, uh, had a profound impact on me. So what was the biggest thing you learned from that experience? Um, that I had made the work I was doing for God more important than my relationship with God, and that mm. God does not call me uh, to have a huge impact. He simply calls me to obedience. You know, and how many zeros there are behind my impact, you know, and people, DVDs sold, whatever, is irrelevant to God. You know, he just, he simply does not care <laughs> how big my success is. What he cares is, is, is the, the character of my heart and my walk with him. You know, and that may be, so, so we, we tend to correlate success with numbers. You know, God's blessing is only counted in numbers. You know, and God's blessing is the fruit of the Spirit. It's peace and joy and love. It's the stuff that comes out of my life, whether I'm ministering to, to two million people or two people. You know, and we can become so miserable pursuing the numbers uh, that God never called us to. So that, that was a huge lesson for me, which is also partly why I switched to puppets, because when I do animation, you know, I need a million people to show up uh, to make it right, make, to make sense your financially. Back, yeah. uh, with puppets, I can do something and throw it on YouTube. You know, and if 10 kids are touched by it, it's like, cool, that was worth the time. Wow. All right, three more quick questions, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll wrap it up. All right, so Chris Williamson asks, how do you keep the creativity flowing? What do you do specifically to help you generate new and quality ideas to illustrate biblical truths and stories? Put everything down and go for a walk or go see a movie or go to an art museum. You know, I, I can never let myself forget to intake as well as output. Hmm. You know, and it's not, it's not just watching a football game or watching, you know, American Idol. <laughs> it's like picking up an art book and flipping through it. Or actually, for me, because uh, I, I love the creativity of the Walt Disney Company, it's going to Disneyland, you know, and just spending a day by myself walking around looking at stuff and looking at people interact with other people's creativity. Uh, sometimes we're afraid to look too much at other people's creativity because we will think, well, we'll you know, we want to be so darn original. Mm. <laughs> Nobody's that original. You know, I, am not, I will never claim to be wildly original. It's, it's about putting common things together in new ways, you know, and so to fill myself up every now and then with a whole bunch of fun new ideas uh, that aren't mine, you know, and it may be the movies of Wes Anderson or the Coen Brothers or Terry Gilliam, you know, people that have a strong kind of artistic vision, um, and, or just go to the symphony, you know, and let some music just make you cry. You know, if nothing makes you cry, you're not connected enough to your emotions to tell stories. Do you have anything uh, on a weekly basis that you... Uh, do that, like any places that you go to, to be inspired or people, more people that you follow or places that you go? How are you inspired? How do you take that in? You've no, not, a few, but. not weekly. Um, you know, I have my favorite filmmakers, and I'm always waiting for their, their next film. You know, some of the guys I just mentioned, uh, you know, Wes Anderson and, and Moonrise Kingdom and uh, the, the Grand Budapest Hotel. You know, I just, like, those are like just candy <laughs> yeah. movies because he's so visual and there's such amazing detail uh pixar films can be the same way although they tend to depress me a little bit with the budgets that they get to play with <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
um, and then I'll pick up. Sometimes I'll just go into to Barnes and Noble and you know and just pick up magazines, art magazines, uh, 3D design magazines to see the most amazing CG work is being done by independent guys who are just making many times just still images they're not animators you know they're making these these uh, just images or creatures or vehicles you know and sometimes you just look at a picture and a whole story just pops into your head mm-hmm. you know behind somebody else's picture and, and you're inspired to go home and try to write all right paul ecker asked what was a character that you created that was a complete flop just didn't work <laughs> Oh, that's a uh, well. See, here's the thing. Quite often, I'll I'll keep them around anyway. <laughs> so, and I'll just keep using them until until I find something there. So I don't. I haven't thrown away many characters. The second Veggie Tales video had a potato in it, who had had one line, <laughs> and then never returned. But it wasn't because he was a flop. It was just because I didn't couldn't think of any other business for him. Um, I tend to use just about all the characters I make and then just keep at it until, you know, until I find something in their personality that I like. Is there anybody, any character on the back burner that you've just been waiting to use but hadn't had the right slot to put them in yet? Well, I, I always had done, like since high school, I, I had done an impression of Louis Armstrong, and I never found a vegetable that needed to sound like Louis Armstrong. Uh, but when we got into what's in the Bible, I thought, okay, you know, I, that would be a, make a great Pentecostal preacher. You know, like, hey, let's talk about the battle. You know, so I just I pulled it out. It was like 20 years later, I'm going to use my Louis Armstrong. Um, so whenever I come up with, you know, a, like a strong, hey, I can do, you know, uh, Bill Clinton or whoever I'm imitating, I'll just, you know, kind of stick that away in a, in a file drawer, and then suddenly I have a puppet, and I'm staring at a puppet. Sometimes I have no idea what a puppet is going to sound like until I have it on my arm, and I'm mm. staring at him and trying to make him talk, you know, and then suddenly I start to find the voice. Uh, you really never know where they're going to come from. So how bad does your family get annoyed? All right, already, with the voices, do they? Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. My wife would... <laughs> My kids occasionally would just say, Dad, would you just talk like a real dad? <laughs> uh, my wife is not fond of the voices that aren't very manly. <laughs> and that tends to be quite a few of my voices. <laughs> like, oh, dear. Oh, my. <laughs> oh, gosh, with the effeminate voice again. Oh, please yeah, stop. Quite a, quite a few voices that I do that I find hilarious. Um, and she just says that does not make me attractive. Has to you. she ever killed a character that you were going to do? Has she ever killed? Uh, well, she killed. Uh, she killed uh, what was before VeggieTales, which was going to be candy bars. The first character I came up with was a candy bar because I needed a simple shape. And she saw it and said, "You know, mom's going to be mad if you if you make their kids fall in love with candy bars." And I thought, oh, oh, the woman is right. She's right. So I'll, I'll just, I'll just okay, switch what, to vegetables. What's shaped like a candy bar that moms wouldn't be mad about? And the next thing that popped into my head was a cucumber. Wow. Yeah. All right, last question it comes from Paul Ecker again. How do you evaluate what kids think is funny? And does it change? <laughs> you don't. <laughs> when, you, when you find yourself saying, do they think this is funny, you're so you've become mathematical in your head and you'll completely lose your sense of humor Hmm. um you just you really all you can do is say i think this is funny 
I really think this is funny. I hope other people do, too. I'm going to be me. I'm going to use my sense of humor. If no one else likes it, it isn't that I can change my own sense of humor. It's that I probably can't rely on using my sense of humor when I tell stories. I'll tell stories in another way. Um, but I don't think, you know, I hate it when I hear in, in some something in church someone has done for kids and someone's eating a you know peanut butter and pickle sandwich or you know where we just do stupid foods by combining things that don't go together because we know that kids will go oh because that's not funny it's just there's 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 cliches for kids you know in in kids humor um and i tend to try to avoid those and just do what i think is funny and then hope that a, a kid's willing to come along for the ride so when you're in the studio by yourself i guess there's no one to bomb to are you are you (laughs) are you do you feel man that really bombed by yourself or you're like yeah that was pretty funny what what is your uh what's your feelings when you're shooting i have a pretty good sense of uh, i think that worked or no that didn't work at all i need to try that again and that's that's important Uh, you need to be able you know to develop a a self-critic um, not necessarily in the moment, but at least, you know, to watch the takes afterwards. <laughs> and because if you're sending out stuff that other people have to tell you doesn't work, it's just, it's going to be hard to be a filmmaker. So I've been creating uh, videos and motion graphic stuff for years and years and years. And I'll look back on some of my earlier stuff and uh, uh, just cringeworthy some of it. Oh, how could I let that go? <laughs> what, what is your cringeworthy stuff? Um, <laughs> there's a, I had a band uh, right after high school with my little brother and my stepbrother, who were both younger than I was, and uh, we wrote some songs that we're all now hoping no one will ever bump <laughs> oh, into. <laughs> How about in uh, Veggie Tales or What's in the Bible World? Do you ever look back and go, you probably well, shouldn't have gone it's there? the animation, the animation on the early ones. You know, I tried mm-hmm. to animate the first Veggie Tales video completely by myself because um, I didn't know anybody else who was doing computer animation, you know, and I realized that after I'd gotten into it, I am going to die a miserable death. So I was trying to do, you know, 15 to 20 seconds a day of finished animation, and it's so painfully simple, to, you know, <laughs> to now. try to pull that off. That if I, and that was uh, Where's God When I'm Scared. So if I ever bump into clips from Where's God When I'm Scared, I go, Bleh. Yeah. <laughs> um how long does it take to render a frame or how long did it used to and how long does it now for you give us a render uh, well i'm no longer involved in computer animation so i don't even have my fingers on that anymore um in some ways it, it tends to never change because rather than going faster people just make the imagery more complex you know, and, mm. and that was the tendency from day one with VeggieTales. In fact, some of my first renders in the first video were faster, you know, than renders today. For a because they're more complex now? Yeah, because it's so much more complex. Yeah. Uh, for example, the, the <clears throat> biggest set I made in VeggieTales video number one was the throne room, King Darius's throne room from the, uh, the story of, of Daniel and the Lion's yeah. Dead. And it had a total of, I think, 20,000 polygons in it. Um, when we did Jonah, and this was just, so that was 93. Jonah was 2001, 2000, when we were really in production. So just seven years later, okay, the pirate ship that uh, the guys are in with Jonah ha- 
had a bowling bag on the deck of the ship, and inside the bowling bag that you actually couldn't see because the bag was shut were bowling pins. Each bowling pin was 20,000 polygons. Wow. Yeah, we, that we were trying to figure out why it was taking so long to render. Wow. And I realized that we had hidden details in the set that modelers had built that were more complex than the most complex set in the first VeggieTales video. Amazing. Uh, man, I really appreciate your time. Uh, tell us about Galaxy Buck one more time, and uh, we'll let you go. Yes, <laughs> Galaxy Buck. Uh, Buck Denver is William Shatner. <laughs> he basically <laughs> becomes Captain Kirk. Um, and attempts to teach kids that to follow Jesus, you have to start by letting go of your own desires, your own goals, dying to yourself is really what it's about, and also looking for a Yoda, someone who can disciple you and be your mentor. We're trying to get kids to actually look up to old people again and consider them uh, Yoda-like sources of wisdom as opposed to annoying people that are in your way after church. Mm. Phil, thanks so much for joining me today, man. Really appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. Hello there, I'm Phil Vischer, and I'm here with my friend, Buck Denver. Buck Denver, man of news! Am I on? Is it time? You can't do a show about the Bible with Yankees and Brits. You need somebody from the buckle of the Bible belt. Genesis begins it all. By turning away from God, they said they didn't believe him. They were going to go their own way. And sin entered the world. What sin? Why do different Bibles have different numbers of books? Who were these people that God used to write the books of the Bible? So who's making these big promises in the Bible, and what are they promising? Do you know what's in the Bible? Is it true? Is it reliable? Absolutely verifiable. Let's all With Buck Denver. Find out more at whatsinthebible.com. For affordable worship media, custom media, and more production training for your church, visit 1230media.com. Here's your host, Carl Barnhill. You can share my full interview with Phil on our blog at 1230media.com forward slash Phil Vischer. That's V I S C H E R. 1230media.com forward slash Phil Vischer. You can also purchase What's in the Bible DVDs and videos from our friends at Seeds Family Worship. Just visit SeedsFamilyWorship.com forward slash store today. Next week on the show, I welcome the creator and founder of that ministry, Seeds Family Worship, to the podcast. My friend Jason Hauser will be joining me. Jason was a music producer and publisher in Nashville and has written and produced songs from artists like Matthew West and others. Next week, we're going to chat about his journey and how he started Seeds to bring word-for-word scripture songs to families all over the world. At 12.30, we produce song videos for their music and have partnered with them to create some fun resources to get your family to know God's Word. Jason is also a pastor at Lighthouse Church in Twin Falls, Idaho, and has some great encouragement to us as church media staff and volunteers. That's next week on the show. Don't miss that. I want to thank my producer, David Michael Hyde. David is a contemporary composer and music producer for film and digital media. You can step into the world of the great one at davidmichaelhyde.com if you dare. Thanks for listening to us this week. I welcome your ideas and topics for future episodes of the show, or if you just want to sound off, 
feel free to email me directly at carl, C-A-R-L, at 1230media.com. And take a minute today, if you would, to rate and review the podcast in iTunes. It helps our ranking in the iTunes database so that more churches can get our content for free. Do that for us today, if you would be so kind. Seeds Family Worship founder Jason Hauser next week on the show. Don't miss it. You can subscribe on our website so you never miss an episode. That's 1230media.com. And you can go straight to our podcast with forward slash podcast, 1230media.com forward slash podcast. Go out there, guys, and create some incredible experiences this Sunday. I'll catch you next week. Thanks for listening to the Church Media Podcast. Get the show notes for today's episode at 1230media.com slash podcast. And be sure to rate and review this podcast in iTunes. For more free church media resources, visit 1230media.com. We'll see you right here next week for another episode of the Church Media Podcast.